0: Visit us at iloveelevate.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this place. Lord, plant seeds. In our hearts and rebuke the enemy from stealing them away. Lord, I pray that you're commissioning God's people to go and make a difference in the world, to take this world for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, Elevate. And as you know, we are the third week into our Do Hard Things series. And it's based on a book called Do Hard Things that gives teenagers five challenges, five hard principles to apply daily in life. And the first week was uh, based on the ring finger because you have to marry yourself to the idea of getting outside of your comfort zone. Last week was the middle finger, which for most of us is the longest finger on our hand. It goes beyond the other fingers, and so it represents that we're going to go beyond what's expected or required of us, or what's asked of us. And this week we're gonna focus on the thumb. Did anyone, before I move on, did anyone uh, do the challenges from last week? I can't see you, but your leaders can't. Leaders look around, give them the stink eye if they're not holding their hand up. Awesome. I'm proud of you guys who did the challenges. Those were not easy. I want to open with a quote and a beautiful testimony about a girl named Katrina. The quote is from a man named Ron Luce, and he says this: if you don't have a purpose bigger than yourself, then you become your own purpose. Consider what that means. If you don't have a purpose, bigger than yourself, and you just become your own purpose. A girl named Katrina was 15 years old. This is a true story. It's, you can find this in the book, Do Hard Things, on sale in the snack shop for 10 bucks. She was a Christian girl who was interested in everything having to do with clothing and fashion. And she wanted to create her own clothing company, her own designer company. But she wanted it to have that forgotten quality, which she quotes is... Uh, modesty, that forgotten quality. So she came up with kind of this idea that she wanted to dress well, but honor Jesus at the same time. And she couldn't wrap her mind around, like, what actually is modesty? She came up with a whole bunch of reasons why modesty is good, why it's biblical, but she had a hard time defining what it was. She finally came around to the idea that modesty is actually a heart issue and dressing inappropriately, or dressing immodestly is just a symptom of a heart issue. But she wondered if other people had the same struggles that she did, if anyone else was asking the same questions. So she wanted to begin a survey. A survey and a website. So she connected with the brothers that wrote the book and asked them if she could start a a thread on their website. And lo and behold, they were all in, and she started this thread on the website, and I wanna read some of the, the stats. It was a Q&A thread, and within seven days, high school students from all over the world asked 350 questions. Apparently, her question was a common one. So she worked together with a team to build an online survey. They would form questions, track answers, build a website, and create photo illustrations. She, create, she recruited a techie guy from Canada who would work remotely. She even recruited her own sister to join in the help. They finally released a 148-question survey, hoping that 100 guys would fill it out. After 24 hours, 120 guys had responded. After three weeks, 1,700 guys from 48 states and 26 countries had responded. There were 3,290 pages of data to sort through. So after two weeks of processing and several all-nighters, the survey was complete. Now she needed to get the information that she gathered out. She wanted the survey to create information that she could get out to other teenagers who had all the same questions. So she recruited 130 teens to mention the survey in their blogs, to send emails, and hand out info at their school's and their churches and i like to read her quote that morning when I went on to find the link to the results the website took about five minutes to load I thought it was very strange when it finally did load people kept saying that the survey was kicking them off in my ignorance of the internet I thought maybe a couple hundred people were on there later when I was messaging a friend she said 10,000 people looked at it in the first hour It was so many that the server actually shut down. I couldn't believe it. I was so excited that I was jumping around the house yelling, 10,000 people! Despite the fact that I had a sore throat and fever at the same time. It wasn't until later that we got the full report. Even with the server down for over an hour, the survey had received 420,000 hits in the first 12 hours. That's a testimony from the book. Let's turn... To Scripture 1st Corinthians 12 14 through 20 and these are popular verses you probably know them for the body does not consist of one member but of many if the foot should say to the hand because I'm not a hand I do not belong to the body that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body and if the ear should say because I'm not an eye I don't belong to the body that would not make it any less a part of the body if the whole body were just an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Or the whole body an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. God designed his kingdom, his church, to be a conglomerate of many, many members that work United towards one purpose, towards a purpose that's greater than any individual could do alone. That a bunch of individuals have a purpose greater than any of them. I love what 1 Peter four ten says. It says that to each has received a gift. God has given everyone a gift. Use it to serve another as good stewards of God's varied grace. There's an allegory called the Parable of the Spoons. And the allegory is told in a bunch of different ways, but one of the most common ways is it's about a woman who asked God, God, what does heaven and hell look like? So God took her to two different doors and he opened the first door and she stepped in and she saw this big round table. And in the middle of the table, there was a pot of some sort of a very good smelling stew. And it was so savory smelling that it made her mouth water. She could smell it all the way where she was by the door. And around this table were these people sitting and they were skinny and frail and emaciated and hungry. And she could see that every one of them had spoons with very long handles and the handles were long enough to reach the pot in the middle of the table, but the spoon handle was too long to feed themselves. And so they went hungry. So she stepped back out of the door and God took her and opened up the second door. When she went in, she could see the exact same setup. She was surprised. It was the same table, the same pot in the middle, the same smell. And yet when she looked around, she saw that the people sitting around the table were well-fed and laughing and conversating with each other because each one had the exact same long-handled spoon. And as they scooped the, the stew out of the middle, instead of serving themselves, they turned the handle and served each other. It was the difference between hell and heaven. But for tonight, the whole point of this allegory for us is that when we work together, we can do so much more. God has given each of us gifts. He's given each of us our own version of a long spoon. And the purpose of the gifts he's given us, of our time and our talent and our resources that he's put in our lives, we're never about taking care of ourselves. We're never about feeding ourselves for our own popularity, for our own wealth, our own gain. No, the gifts that he's given us in our lives, our health and our resources and our money and the talents that we have, no, they're meant for us to serve each other, for us to serve his church, for his body. We are many and we're called to work together towards a purpose greater than ourselves. So hard thing number three, the thumb. The thumb, in the same way that the thumb wraps up the other fingers, it pulls together in unity the other fingers, the thumb represents collaboration. So the first one is get out of our comfort zone, go beyond what's expected or required, and collaborate. Anytime you take on something that's hard, that's bigger than yourself, you're going to have to recruit. You're going to have to pull together more people than just yourself. That may be forming an outreach, making a video, organizing an event, starting a band, or changing a policy at your school. What did Katrina do? She shared her passion with others, and she delegated. And that's what I would like you to consider as the key to collaboration. Share your passion and delegate. Let's say it together. Let's say it together. Your leaders are going to know whether you repeat after me or not. Ready? One, two, three. Share your passion and delegate. Last time. Share your passion and delegate. Yes. If you didn't do it, I hope you feel sillier than I do right now myself. Look. Only you can get out of your comfort zone. Only you can go beyond what's expected of you. But only you can't take on something bigger than yourself. Because you are limited to your own resources, your own talents, and your own time. Our culture celebrates lone wolves, lone heroes, but that's just not reality. If we engage only our own resources and only our own abilities, then our projects aren't gonna get off the ground. Instead, we have to look around and ask, who can I recruit to do this with me? Okay, all serious now. I would like everybody in the room to stand up. Leaders, make sure everyone's standing. Everyone stand up on the floor, feet flat, and I want you to reach up as high as you can. Reach your arms straight up in the air. Stand on your tiptoes if you have to. Get your fingers stretched out. This right here. Between the tops of your fingers and the bottoms of your feet represent all of you. This is everything that God has given you to work with, but it's also that height is your limitation. The tip tops of your fingers are the ceiling that you can't break through alone. But have you ever seen okay, you can sit back down. Thank you. All right, shh, shh. hold with me. Have you ever seen those those human pyramids at a circus or something, they're incredible. Google them when you have a chance. They take like 30 people and they stack these human pyramids way up in the air. It's because every one of them are becoming a part of something bigger, grander than themselves. And this brings me to a really cool word. Maybe some of you have heard this word before, some of you haven't. And the word is synergy, S-Y-N-E-R-G-Y, synergy. Synergy. And the definition, as confusing as it is, I'll read it to you. The interaction of elements that when combined produce a total effect that is greater than the sum of the individual elements. Okay, let me write this down just a little bit. The sum of individual elements, as in the sum of one plus one equals two, right? All right, so that synergy is that when they're combined, they're greater than the sum of their individual elements. So it becomes one plus one equals three. That's synergy. For an example, the average horse can pull a cart weighing about 2,500 pounds. So if you had two horses attached to that cart, mental math would say that those two horses can pull 5,000 pounds. But that's not the way it works. When you hitch up two horses to one cart working together, sweating together, pulling together, those two horses together can pull 12,500 pounds. That's synergy. That's what 1 Corinthians is talking about. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were just a single member, where would they be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. I love it in Acts 6. We have a turning point for the church. The church just got off the ground. Jesus has, has ascended. The 12 disciples are preaching. They're, they're teaching. They're debating in synagogues. They're traveling around. They're maintaining churches. And a problem comes up. And it's the problem that within the big church that they're, they're trying to get off the ground, the widows and the poor are not being fed. They're going hungry. So are the apostles supposed to leave spreading the gospel of Jesus? So that they can go and feed people? No. Should they leave people to go hungry? Absolutely not. So, what did they do? They recruited and they delegated. They recruited these seven guys and they empowered them to go. And they're guys like Stephen, the first martyr of, of the church. Guys like Philip, who was like the first person in Scripture, the only person I know of, that literally teleports. Like, these are incredible guys. And the church. Changed. The church became bigger. The church began to care for people both spiritually and physically because of collaboration. I had a teacher in college, he taught a class on missions, and he would regularly take prayer requests. And so we were in this big class of probably like 100 people, and he would just go around and he'd ask for prayer requests, and, and often there would be a prayer request of someone who didn't have enough money for something or somebody. Needed something moved and he needed help and he would just stop and he wouldn't take any more prayer requests and he would just wait and he would wait until someone took off their hat and started passing the hat around for a collection for that person or someone across the room would go hey I can help you move into your dorm this weekend or whatever the need was he would just sit there and wait until the class met that need Dr. Smith was teaching us to be the church, to work together, to, to, to take our long spoon and feed somebody else. What an incredible God that would design a church like this. So I'd like to offer you 10 tips for collaboration. Now, there's no way on earth you're going to remember these 10 tips off the top of your head. I, could, I couldn't remember the 10 tips if you asked me because of my memory. But I have put the notes on iloveelevate.com. As a PDF file under the page, podcasts. So go to iloveelevate.com on your phone. Go to the podcast page and tap the PDF for Do Hard Things Week 3. You can do it right now if you want. I'll give you a second. iloveelevate.com. Podcasts. Okay, 10 tips for collaboration. The first one is we're going to start with good questions. When you take on that class project, when you're going after this cool video or changing a policy, whatever it is, you need to start with some good questions. The first one is What is God saying to me about this idea? Where is He at? What's He at work in? What's He communicating to me about this idea? Am I the one to lead? Or if I'm not the one to lead, Can I help things get going? Can I be the catalyst for that? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And in the area of my weaknesses, who can I recruit to compensate for my weaknesses? Like, look around. Look at your leaders at Elevate. They are people that are good at organizing. They're good at people that are good at recruiting and know lots of people and are comfortable making tons of phone calls. They're people that are are mature and they think bigger picture that, that have already either have or had had teenagers all of those things are areas of my weaknesses of my personal youth pastor dom's weaknesses we need to recruit people that compensate for the areas that we're weak in the second tip so the first one is ask good questions the second one is walk with the wise Proverbs thirteen twenty says whoever walks with the wise becomes wise but the companion of fools will suffer harm Wow. As in, if you hang out with people that are foolish, you will come to physical harm. But if you walk with those who are wise, you'll become wise. So here's a wise question. What is the advice of your parents or the other people that you trust about this big project, this big hard thing that you're going to take on? Who are those in your life who are more experienced, more mature, walk with the Lord longer If you want to take on those qualities, if you want those qualities involved in your project, you need to recruit them. So here's a hint, practical hint. If you need insight, experience, and resources, recruit adults. If you want time, energy, and trends, recruit teens. And if you have wisdom, you bring both of them together for synergy. You want both halves of the equation on your team. For whatever your purpose is. So ask good questions, walk with the wise. Number two, utilize your family. That's your home team, your home field advantage. They have the greatest concern that you'll be successful. Those two brothers that wrote the book, those teenagers, they talk about how they have regular family meetings about their projects. And here's how it works. Their dad is the main speaker. The oldest brother leads worship. The mom is the organizer. The sister coordinates volunteers. The younger brother does mailings. The seven-year-old brother helps with whatever it needs help with. But they together as work as a family. This may be idealistic for you, but if you can just get one parent or one sibling on board with you, it can make a huge difference. Pull in a family member into your project. Ask good questions, walk with the wise, utilize your family. Number four, use technology. Use technology to connect with people, to research, to promote, and to raise money. Use technology. Now, it comes with a warning because technology can be a time assassin. You can get online to try to do one of these great things and then boom, two hours is gone. You're like, where did that go? Use technology, but use it wisely. Ask good questions. Walk with the wise. Utilize your family. Use technology. Number five, there's a hard one. Treasure constructive criticism. Treasure constructive criticism. The reality is you don't know what you don't know. I don't know what I don't know. I need constructive feedback. I need criticism. You know It's not going to feel good, but if you'll choose humility, not feel humility choose humility, receiving feedback will be the difference between okay or good versus great. You're going to spend a lot of time stuck in one place unless you're willing to hear from other people. Now, not all criticism is fully accurate. Not all criticism understands exactly what you're doing or where you're going. But if it's coming from someone who cares, you should always consider it and try to grow from it. Constructive criticism. Ouch. Number six, give away credit and avoid taking it. Always be praising the other people on your team. Lift them up more than trying to be in the spotlight for yourself. Promote each other instead of looking for glory. This is going to energize your team. After all, your team is a creature with many legs. You're not riding a pogo stick. The whole point of this is that everyone carries some of the weight. Whenever you give credit away to everybody else, you're energizing all of those other legs. And number seven, and this one rings so true for me personally, from the events that I've planned and the camps that I've been on. Number seven, expect a nightmare or two or three. But the reality is if you have four nightmares, you may not have planned things so well. But expect a nightmare. The inevitable nightmares that come with collaboration on big projects, they're like, they're like Red Bulls for your prayer life. They energize your relationship with the Lord because as things are falling apart, you're like, Lord, I need you. But I have to put my faith in you because there's nothing I can do here myself. I can tell you, you're going to have a nightmare. Expect it. Try to plan for it. But when it happens, take a breath. Look around. Choose wisdom. Collaborate with somebody. You're going to get through this one step at a time. And the best thing you can do is to look for God's hand at work in the nightmare. Because he is at work. He is working. In them, in you, in your project, he's at work. Expect a nightmare. Number eight. Let this one settle in. If this is the only one you remember, let this one settle in. Give grace and mercy. Because the other people that you're working with are imperfect too. You're doing things that are difficult and bigger than you. And it's going to require patience. It's going to require humility, and it's going to require a nearly endless supply of forgiveness. Grace and mercy have to be your language. They have to be how you interact with people. Grace and mercy has to be how you problem solve, how you confront, how you offer constructive criticism with grace and with mercy. Number nine, motivate your team. Before beginning, this is what you do, before you even begin, decide if the purpose is worth seeing through. Decide if what you're going for, if the purpose is worth the fight to not quit. And if you can have that purpose, then come up with how to make that purpose clear and how to make that purpose easy to communicate. And once you have that purpose easy to communicate and clear for everybody, you want to constantly put that in front of people, constantly be repeating it over and over and over again. People need to know why they're coming to the table, why they're, they're giving you their time, why they're spending their resources, why they're giving their talents, because this purpose is worth fighting for. Consider for a second, if the person that you were helping came in and said, Excuse me would you uh would you mind licking and sending out these two hundred envelopes, licking and sealing these things and you're like, oh, I hate the taste of glue like that would be really demotivating, right but what if An hour earlier, you had met with your team leader and three other people, and your team leader was saying, hey, guys, don't forget, when we raise $4,800, we're going to be able to build a water well in this town that has no clean water. And every envelope that you send out is a potential donation towards their clean water. I don't know about you, but for me, I'm like, yeah, bring on the glue. Let's go, right? Keep the purpose in front of people because the purpose makes a difference. If I were to say that the purpose of Elevate is to elevate Jesus through discipling students. Would that come as a shock to you? Would you be like, I've never heard those words before? No, of course you have because we're always trying to keep the purpose in front of you. This is why we're gathering on Wednesdays. This is why you're here tonight. This is why I wake up in the morning. This is why your leaders give up their time and resources and talents. It's because we are here to elevate Jesus through teaching you about how awesome he is, about discipling you, about how to follow Jesus in life. That is the purpose of Elevate. We want to keep the purpose. You want to keep the purpose of your project always in front of your people. So let's scroll through these real quick. Start with the good questions. Walk with the wise. Utilize your family. Use technology. Treasure constructive criticism. Give away credit. Expect a nightmare. Give grace and mercy. Motivate your team. And number 10, measure success. But success isn't just accomplishing big goals. But it's how well you did together. You know, success can also be personal firsts for people on your team. Spiritual breakthroughs, tough lessons that you learned, nightmares that you overcame together, and all those small victories, those are success. Other kinds of successes are You know, if someone can do something 70% as well as you can, let them do it. And if they have given everything they've got and it still isn't as good as what you could have done, but they gave their very best, that's success. Let them do it. Let them run. Because you know what? The day is going to come when their best is actually better than what you could have done because they've been the one practicing and working at it. Be aware of the pros and grows. Be aware of the pros so you can praise your team. That's success. Be aware of the grows so that you can learn and teach your team. Those are successes. Jackie and I had the opportunity to be youth pastors of a girl in Destin. Her name was Summer Allen. And at 14, she discovered that there were communities in the Appalachian Mountains that were so remote and so poor, they didn't have basic necessities like toiletries, cleaning products. A lot of them didn 't have a lot of enough money for food, and so she came back to Destin, where she was a part of very wealthy communities and she started recruiting she started recruiting her mom, her brother, her sister she recruited almost the entire youth group at different times she put in district, she put in boxes collection boxes in all the stores and the businesses nearby everywhere you went you 'd find a a box with her face on it with her mission statement. It was so cool. And she'd collect all this stuff. And then she recruited more of the youth group to go and and organize all of this stuff and categorize all of it. Then she would haul it all into trucks all the way out to the Appalachian Mountains where she recruited, guess what? More of our youth group to go and distribute it to people in the communities and the churches there. She recruited. And she recruited. And she recruited. And she had a, a purpose and a vision. And she put it in front of us. And she delegated that was it. That was her key. Share her vision and delegate. That is your goal. Share your vision and delegate. Jesus had the biggest mission, the biggest mission of all time. His mission was to reach the entire planet for all time. And he recruited, he recruited 12 guys and he gave them a mission and he delegated. He empowered them to go and do it. And those 12 shared a vision, and recruited and delegated. And those shared a vision, recruited and delegated. And those, down through the centuries until eventually, consider it. Someone told you about Jesus. And someone told me about Jesus. Because of this guy 2,000 years ago that shared a vision, who recruited and delegated 12 guys. We got to know about him. How incredible is that? What was his purpose? What was his mission? Matthew 28:19. "Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, And behold, thank you, Jesus, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus never meant this mission to us to be a solo act. No, Jesus is calling us to do it together. First Corinthians. Twelve, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them, as he chose. If all were just a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body, one spirit, one purpose, one vision. So, recap. God designed us as believers with unique gifts with the potential to unite for a purpose bigger than any one of us. Number two, to take on a hard thing bigger than yourself, you'll have to collaborate. Number three, the key to collaborating is sharing your passion with others and delegating. I hope that you remember that after all the times I repeated it. Wisdom, constructive criticism, giving away praise and forgiveness will be necessary for effective synergy. The highest purpose, the highest purpose which all Jesus followers are called to is participating in the kingdom. So elevate, let's go. Let's participate in the kingdom. So here's your challenge for the week. What is a project that you are planning to do all by yourself? What is it? What's coming up? Is it a project at home? Is it a project at school? I mean, no cheating here, but you know what I mean. What's a project in your life that you were planning on taking on alone? And my challenge is to take that list of 10 and pull three of those things to apply to that project and collaborate with it. I'd like to conclude Katrina's story to close this message. And this is a direct quote from the book. Katrina says, Together we can accomplish great things for God starting today. At the time, nothing seemed at all strange. But when I look back on it now, it totally blows me away. We were all 18 or younger. I was only 15. It makes me wonder what more is possible when teens work together. There were about five main people working on the modesty survey. Imagine what we could do with a team of 100 people. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for Elevate. Thank you, Lord, that even with COVID, (laughs) I'm able to, um, to share an evening with them. Lord, that your word will still penetrate our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that there are leaders in this room tonight. The Elevate is full of people willing to do hard things, men and women of God going out with a purpose greater than any one of them. Lord, I pray that we will be synergy for your kingdom. Lord, I motivate some people tonight to go and do things bigger than they imagined. Take them further than they thought they could go. Help them to get off their rear ends and pursue that, that pain in their heart, that, that thing that they see where there is injustice, where there is a lack of your light. Let them go. Help them to recruit. Help them to get out of their comfort zones. Help them to go beyond what's expected. We love you, Lord. And we give tonight to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Elevate. Your e-group leaders are going to come up, break out, and enjoy yourselves. I love you. And I'm so glad I was able to be here with you even through this remote technology. I love you, Elevate. Have a great night. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students 7th through 12th grades are welcome.